Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening, this 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, where, my dear friends, we have the opportunity to engage some very important verses in our Christian walk. Those verses that come to us from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Those verses, my dear friends, that are about fraternal correction. Verses that makes some of us a little uncomfortable. And maybe they should make all of us uncomfortable because I don't know anyone who looks forward to confrontation. Yet, yet there's something going on in these verses that we need to start talking about. And what we're going to do after reading these verses is we're going to get into some of this Greek and we're going to reflect what did Jesus actually say? What is the biblical text actually saying? And out from that, how can we better understand how we are called to journey with one another in our Christian walk? Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to get those, turn to chapter 18. I will go ahead and read now. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. Wow, are those some important verses for us, my friends. (laughs) Very important verses. And maybe as we will really get into those opening verses, we can best start with verse 20. Those gathered together in my name. Huh. One of St. Paul's most typical blessings in his letter is the God of peace be with all of you. You see this time and time again, often in his opening address. He promises to the Philippians, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it is because precisely that this God of peace who has himself gathered the Christian community together, and because it is Christ who is himself our peace, the life of the church must be marked, my dear friends, by this ongoing continual quest for peace and unity. Not a peace and unity that is this vague utopian ideal that is reduced to just the absence of warfare, but peace and unity as the full realization of the here and now, of the deepest identity of the church, the church as already being the body of Christ, 
the peace that is not, again, about the absence of warfare, but spiritual welfare. When this peace is disturbed, what our Lord lets us know, the one absolutely unacceptable attitude and behavior is indifference. Indifference. One father, Frank Pavone, once said that silence and neutrality are agents of evil, particular when our voice needs to be heard. Okay? So when the peace is disturbed, this peace that we are called to live in, we must bear the name of Christ and seek reconciliation at all costs so that the full peace that is a divine mark, brothers and sisters, a divine characteristic of the church and of our own relationship with Jesus Christ may be restored to our relationship with God and the community. We can say the church is existentially made up of saints and sinners. Within each saint, within each sinner, there is this never-ending struggle being fought between the impulses of the Holy Spirit and those of the evil one. This tension is one of the greatest challenges that Christian faith poses to the mature Christian believer. Wherever you are at in your Christian journey faith, if you are doing well or if you're not doing well, there's this ongoing interior tension. Saint and sinner alike, as long as we are vested with the flesh, there will be this tension. And so we are called to step into that great virtue and gift of purity and see as God sees, so that we might render our hearts disposed to this great truth of reconciliation. And we must seek at all costs, at all costs, my dear friends, to be of one heart and one soul. This is why reconciliation is so important. Now, going into the narrative itself, the sets of verses that I read for you this evening, there's a few interesting points that get us going. The first is this. The Greek word for if occurs nine times within, within these few lines, reminding us, reminding us, my dear friends, of the very practical application of what Jesus here intends. The Lord clearly has in mind a series of variable and we could say unpredictable circumstances that recur in our life, that recur in any human community, that at the same time calls for prudence and courage that we might always, in the spirit of Philippians 2, 5, put on the mind of Christ, that we might always in our lives put on the new man, as Colossians 3, 10 says so that we will bring to realization that beautiful symphony of peace that engenders that lasting joy. There is no question that the verses I read for you this evening highlight the concrete, social, visible reality of the everyday life of the church in the world. That reality that is crucially vital to the church. What do I mean? Huh? Sometimes there's a tendency to be so focused on maybe the liturgical element of the church or the sacramental life of the church or uh, the objective context of the Catholic faith and the doctrine that we forget about the actual evolving relationships among the members of Christ's body. Yes, important 
are the liturgical teachings of the church, the sacramental identity of the church, the objective context of the Catholic faith and the doctrine, but also the actual, again, evolving relationships among the body of Christ, the relationships, my dear friends, that you and I belong to. Great care, therefore, must be devoted to tending to the nature of our relationships with one another and purifying those relationships. This is very important. It's interesting. The use of the word brother here is very important, very significant, because it obviously extends to all who belong to the community of the church. It is a household usage among our Lord's followers, because all who believe in him, all who have new life in him, see one another as what they truly are, brothers in Christ, as children of the same heavenly Father. So it is. We are to look upon those around us as our brothers and sisters in Christ. So far-reaching consequences are contained then in Jesus' simple use of the word brother. Because if it is my brother who has sinned against me, then I must treat him in response as flesh of my flesh, loving him despite his sin as I love myself. If I have wronged someone, I would hope that I might be able to accept in the grace of God that person who comes to me and says, hey, Joe, you offended me by A, B, and C, doing this or doing that, talking behind my back, whatever sin we might have succumbed to. I hope they would be able to come to me because that's what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ. It's interesting. If you were to turn this around a little bit, what happens from the world's perspective? A person sinned against is almost seen to have full freedom to respond in kind, to hold this kind of vindictive, or at least to cut off the offending party forever with a clean conscience. Not so in the family of our Lord. Not so, my dear friends, in the family of Jesus. What Jesus is telling us in today's gospel is that the aggrieved brother must ponder the situation and must make every effort to gain back his brother. My own hurt, even if real and not just imagined, is no excuse for vindictive thoughts or indifference, which could ultimately result in the loss of offending another brother from Christ's body. If I am a follower of Christ... It is in Christ's interests and not my private concerns and grudges that must determine my attitude, words, and actions. Let me say that again. If we are a disciple of Christ, it is then Christ's interests that must determine our attitudes, our words, and our actions. Remember what we talked about last week as it um, relates to uh, Peter's rebuke. What did Jesus do? It was subtle. It could have easily been missed or overlooked, but what did he do? Peter gets in front of Jesus, and it's in the Greek, scandalous. In the subsequent verses, Jesus talks about the importance of following him. Don't get in front of me. Don't get in front of me. Get behind me. Because if you want to follow me, you don't lead. You get behind me. Do we live in our Christian journey of faith in Christ's interests, in Christ's plan for our lives, 
in the trail that Christ has blazed for us? Or do we live according to our own agenda? Or do we live according to our own desires and wants? This is a challenge that we must all face. All of us. Okay? Now, what's quite interesting here in this narrative is, well, Jesus calls a sin a sin. You know, the Christian church isn't this mutual admiration society. When I am sinned against, the Lord commands me to go and rebuke my brother for what he has done to me. Apparently, and I want to make this clear, Jesus does not see this as some haughty behavior incompatible with Christian humility. You know, you've heard me quote Mary Caucus before, the great biblical theologian in the Gospel of Matthew. As I continue to lean upon him this evening... His beautiful point on this matter is so succinct. You know, the psychological and social realism of this passage is astounding. We hear focus on the everyday life of the church on earth, and this is not yet by far the unalloyed joy of saints enjoying the beatific vision. We know, in fact, friends, that Jesus himself never allowed the Pharisees or anyone else to get away with thinking that objectionable attitudes and behaviors were anything but reprehensible. Whenever anyone fails to welcome him as the Messiah, Son of God, whenever anyone fails to have compassion on the poor and the needy, and when this failure results in the mounting attitudes of hatred and violence against him, what does Jesus do? Jesus manifests the grievous nature of such hard-heartedness, both to the offended parties and to the public at large, that we all may see the truth for what it is. That being said, our Lord's reproaches... And even condemnations are always compatible with that long-suffering attitude on his part that ultimately aims at the conversion and redemption of even the obstinate, of even the stubborn. Okay, that being said, there is a very, very important point here um, that I want to get into, and it's really found in the Greek, and this will lead us into Pope Francis's Joy of the Gospel. We are to remember that the verb in this passage, to reproach or accuse, also means to question or examine. Hmm? This is the word elenkus, which literally means reasoned argument. This more nuanced meaning should perpetually remind us that charity compels us always to first give the other the benefit of the doubt and to hear his or her explanations, we could say dispassionately, before we rush to those conclusions, before we conclude as to the objective nature of the alleged offense. We must conclude, therefore, that our Lord's reproaches for sin are identical with the call of the Good Shepherd for the wayward sheep to come back to the fold. Our Lord's reproaches are always about bringing people back into the fold. I want to go to Pope Francis now, maybe to underscore this point, and maybe better said, how to understand this better. If you were to go into paragraphs 169 and following in his great exhortation, Joy of the Gospel, you find him talking about this personal accompaniment in the process of growth. And this is what he says, and I want to highlight some key pieces here. He says, in a culture paradoxically suffering from anonymity, 
and at the same time obsessed with the details of other people's lives, shamelessly giving over to morbid curiosity. Is that you? (laughs) Is that me? The church must look more closely and sympathetically at others whenever necessary. The church will have to initiate priests, religious, and laity into what he calls this art of accompaniment, which teaches us to remove our sandals before the sacred ground of the other. The pace of this accompaniment must be steady and reassuring, reflecting our closeness and our compassionate gaze, which also heals, liberates, and encourages growth in the Christian life. He goes on, we need to practice the art of listening, which is more than simply hearing. Listening in communication is in openness of heart, which makes possible that closeness without which genuine spiritual encounter cannot occur. Listening helps us to find the right gesture and word which shows that we are more than simply bystanders. Only through such respectful and compassionate listening can we enter on the paths of a true growth and awaken a yearning for the Christian ideal, the desire to respond fully to God's love and to bring to fruition what he has sown in our lives. What is he talking about here, my friends? The listen-response relationship. Are we so quick to get in what we want to say, that we fail in our evangelization, or in this case, that we fail in entering into that healing process with our brother or sister who has offended us. You know, there's something very important here that I think far too often is overlooked. In our accusing, we have lost that sense of reasoned argument. Remember what the Greek translates. Are we so caught up in the emotion of the reproach? Are we so caught up in the emotion of the accusation? Are we so caught up in the, look what you've done to me, that we fail what Christ is calling for, the reasoned argument? How about ask a question? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Did I fail you? Did I do something that prompted your words? Engage the dialogue, that dispassionate Entrance into the dialogue, not in the passive sense, but in the active sense, that active listening that would allow the healing process to take place. This is very important for us because if we fail in this, then all we are going to do is cause more damage, cause more hurt in our relationships. It's interesting, as we talk about this, my dear friends, you know, the Torah <laughs> in the Old Testament already exhorted the Jews, huh? You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason with your neighbor, lest you bear sin because of him. You know, we see St. Paul never tiring of stressing the responsibility of Christians always to aim in their ways at the marriage of truth and love with a watchful eye to one's own weaknesses. What does he say in 2 Timothy 4.2? Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Be unfailing in patience and in teaching. Galatians 6.1, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself 
lest you too be tempted. By the way, why is gentleness so important? You know, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3.15. When we give reasons for the hope that is inside of us, do so in gentleness and in reverence. Why are these so important and what do they mean? Well, what are they about? These attitudes that we are to assume when we engage our brothers and sisters in Christ. What we are made to see and understand here is that these virtues of gentleness, reverence, humility are those attitudes, those dispositions which disarm the person that we are talking to, that they might be more disposed. This is part of that deeper pastoral sense to listen, to be gentle, to be humble opens our brothers and sisters up into the conversation. Even if we are the one who has been offended, how great the reward if we are the one who has been offended, that we would be humble, that we would be gentle, that we would be reverent. That word renders in its Latin space created for dialogue. Huh? Yes, reverence translates for some of us piety. This is how we think of it. But the actual Latin speaks of this space created for dialogue. Isn't that beautiful? This space, this disposition that listens. This is what Pope Francis is talking about in his personal accompaniment, when he's talking about that listening ear, giving the, the person that you are talking to the experience of being listened to. Because when the person has the experience of being listened to, they in turn are going to take more ownership of the conversation itself, of the dialogue itself. And if we are about engaging our brothers and sisters in this marriage of truth and love, what we will discover is that when love steers, love guides, we will arrive at that point of truth if we engage the importance of the dialogue. Remember. The dialogic, dialogos. We discover truth when the dialogos, when two come together to talk about the word. Logic is the instrument to reason. If love steers at reason, wow, you have a, a, a marriage made in heaven, huh? And I speak to this because, yes, Jesus Christ calls a sin a sin. So does that mean we run around judging every sin? What it means, simply, my friends, is that we have to be careful about the way we think about judgment. We do not judge what we do not see, what is subjective, what is hidden, unseen, unknown, which means we do not judge the heart because we do not know what motivates man and what he or she does. We do not condemn the person. This is what Christ is talking about. We cannot possibly judge the culpability of an act as it relates to the person because we don't know why they do what they do and how formed they were and what they did. Does it mean that we do not judge a sin for what it is? No. No, not at all. This is why we have the right to fraternally correct. But we take the plank out of our own eye so that we might actually see what God wants us to see, what is objective, what is public, external, revealed, seen. If subjective is what is hidden, unknown, unseen, then objective is what is public, external, revealed. Okay? Yeah. Christ in sacred scripture, as I've already talked about, condemns what is objectionable to the nature of truth and love. 
And what he wants us to see is that it is important in our own relationships to build up that trust, to build up that friendship, that we might be able to engage our brothers and sisters in Christ to say, hey, what you did, that affected me. That hurt me. Hey, what you did, this affects the body of Christ. If the timing is right and the relationship is there to also talk to them about, yeah, what they're doing is affecting their own relationship with God. But again, always, not in the spirit of condemnation, but in the spirit of reconciliation. When we take the plank out of our own eye, my dear friends, what happens is we see ourselves for who we are. We see all the muck and mire of our sin. And what that leads to is a proper understanding of what it's all about and how we are to engage our brothers and sisters in Christ, huh? You know, now we hear the word tolerance quite a bit today. We um, see the bumper sticker, coexist. What do these words actually mean? What does the word tolerance actually mean? You translate it from the Latin, to put up with. Isn't that a bit of a negative term? It's a funny thing how we've lost our sense of language. Because to say, I tolerate you, is to actually put up with you. Imagine if we actually translated that word in how we speak with one another. We espouse towards tolerance as this great virtue. But what are we doing? It is like we are putting on a billboard, I put up with you. To put up with you? You put up with me? I thought you were called to love me as a Christian. Huh? What about coexist? What do we intend to mean when we say coexist? Of course we are called to accept one another. Of course we are called to live with one another. But what does Jesus Christ do? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, not a way, a truth, and a life. The way, the truth, the life. This is the imperative sense, my dear friends. Absolute and unchanging. Truth is not subject to time. Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth, came and he set up this objective moral standard. And we all come up short. Huh? But does this mean we stop striving towards the end goal of heaven? Does this not mean if our brother or sister has offended us, we do everything at our disposal to reconcile ourselves with them, to let them know that they've hurt us? If you hurt someone, and if you were a faithful Christian, you would go to that person, and you would apologize, and you would seek reconciliation. So then why, when we have been hurt, we don't reach out? Remember what I said about that general sense of brotherhood, or we can also say sisterhood. What does that mean? It means that we are in Jesus Christ, bone of the bone, flesh of the flesh, and we must seek reconciliation. At all costs, always mindful that we are called to listen, that we are called to engage that reproach within the context of that reasoned conversation, that both sides might take ownership of what is actually being said. Our Lord is the God of peace, and that peace, again, engenders that lasting joy when there's a deep sense of unity, because the love that is the Holy Spirit shared between the Father and the Son, is about being one. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.